Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Jared Kimber. He is Bayram Kazi. We are coming at you live on uh, Jared Kimber's YouTube channel and also the Jared Kimber Podcast um, YouTube channel. So if you want to keep following all these live chats, that's where we'll be from now on. Uh, well, by the end of the summer, we'll have moved across there when we've worked out how to move everything across. But thank you to everyone who has popped up. Uh, we're in the middle of the ashes, Bayram. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am currently in uh, a place called Duddeston. Uh, okay. which is in Birmingham, uh, which is uh, not nice. It's not a nice part of Birmingham. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it's where Adam Collins has put me in for the SEN uh, commentary team. So mm-hmm. it's where I am. Um, it's been, it, it's funny, coming in, it was a very, very hyped Ashes, but not overhyped, mm-hmm. as in it was like, well, these might be the two best teams in the world. And, you know, with India's form slipping a little bit, you'd have to say they were at least, the, you know, the two mm-hmm. most informed teams coming in. Obviously, you know, e- England changing everything. Uh, Australia coming in. Then the pitch on day one, I was a, a little bit like, well, in fact, uh, I heard some whispers. I think mm-hmm. that's the most polite way of putting it. That some of the England bowlers were even like, are you kidding me? We're supposed to bowl on this all summer? This is terrible. <laughs> Please don't make pitches like this anymore. Um, despite the fact that Ben Stokes asked for things like this. Although I think they <laughs> wanted to be a little bit quicker than this particular surface. Um, but so far, it's been a really exciting game. Obviously, you know, we're recording this before um, day five. So anything, I'm assuming tie um, at the moment, but anything could happen. <laughs> Plus, it's supposed to be a lot of rain, but it's been a cracker. A, a first test of an Ashes. It's been absolutely scintillating. I've been hooked to my TV set for like four days. And that one day where it rained, I was actually like really, really down. Even though in a way it worked out because Father's Day was the same day and I got to spend some time with the old man. But still, I was like so devastated that why is there rain in this game? Because it's just so, you know, mesmerizing to have look at these two teams go at it. And it's interesting you brought the surface up because I think Steve, uh, well, Steve Broad, Stuart Broad, was vocal about this, that he did not enjoy bowling on this surface. And he was like, I don't think I've ever seen a pitch as slow as this one in England, which is quite a strong claim. And especially when we had heard these murmurs that this is a made-to-order pitch, right? England asked for this. And Stokes even hinted at it prior to the Ashes that they want batting-friendly surfaces so that they can ball their heart out. But this is here's a, what... This isn't really a batting-friendly surface, though, either, is it? Because, I mean, yeah. we haven't had massive totals uh, as well. It's kind of a no one friendly surface 
That's what I was coming to. On day one, you felt like it was a very batting, batting-friendly surface. And then you can also maybe in hindsight question the declaration because my initial thoughts were that you need at least 400 on this pitch. And there you are, 393 for eight, England and Stokes declares, it, which is the, the most Stokes thing to do. Today, I was wondering if he would declare when they had a 250 lead. But anyway, that might come back to haunt them. I, I think uh, Mark Butcher has made that very clear. He hasn't really minced his words. But then again, you look at the surface and we've seen both Moeen and Nathan Lyon get a fair bit of turn as well. There has been a little bit of inconsistent bounce and the ball is nipping around. It's more batting friendly than, let's say, other surfaces in England or, well, test match surfaces. But I don't think this is like an out-and-out Rawalpindi pitch, as some people have said that, right, in their articles and stuff like that. And I was like, really? Rawalpindi, 500 in a day where the bowlers have absolutely nothing? And you know it's a draw from day one unless you're Ben Stokes and declare and win the test match? But anyway, I, I still think that, well, in my view, Stokes should have crossed that 400-run mark because had they been defending, let's say, 350 or even 320, 310, 320, it would have been a different ball game. Mm. There's certain psychological pressure that comes with the 300 score, score line. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think like England are capable of winning this test match. They need seven wickets, need to defend 170 more runs. If they get Kwaja early on and maybe, let's say, head, then they are most definitely in the driver's seat. But it's great how we're headed into day five with all three results possible because there is a rain forecast yeah. for tomorrow, Jared. Oh, four. You forgot the tie, which I've yeah, already said it's going to be a tie. Uh, yeah, there is rain forecast. Not as bad as we thought. I think originally we were told uh, it would probably rain the majority of day five. doesn't quite look like that as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole flat pitches, the, the whole flat pitch thing is like, how many wickets have we had? 31? Because they were eight down when they declared. So we've, yeah. we've had 31 wickets already fall and there was, what, two thirds of a day lost, right? It's mm -hmm. not, it's not that, and it's also, it's not like it's particularly easy to score. I think it's a bad pitch. Like, I don't think it's a, hmm. a good cricket wicket from that point of view. Yeah. And the bowlers thing is quite interesting. The other thing I would say about that is that I think when Ben Stokes was saying, oh, you know, we want to pitch like this, we want to pitch like this. What he's really, what he was really saying is we want to pitch that favors our batters. Hmm. Uh, and they didn't want to go up against people who were, um, uh, you know, who were moving the ball around, um, but it negates their bowlers as well. So it's it's an it's an interesting theory uh, that they have come up with. But yeah, there's, I, I think the Moen Alley one is a really fascinating subplot. It was a fascinating subplot beforehand, right? And and I don't uh -huh. think they were wrong to think it was their best option. But mm -hmm. I also think that if that is the case, you cannot bowl him. I think he bowled unchanged from one end for like mm -hmm. what felt like a day and a half, but probably wasn't yeah. that long. You can't get some. You can't get anyone to do that kind of job um, over and over again if they're not ready for it. And you know, with you know, with fingers and and the way that calluses open up and and you know, uh, things that happen to spinners and have always happened to spinners. You know, <laughs> they're, they're the people in our game that we we are most aware of who we on their own fingers because uh, they <laughs> want to harden the skin. And just a, a message to all the kids out there: uh, weeing on your own fingers does not harden your own skin. So they're not even doing anything that works there. Uh, but the point, I suppose, the point is um, that they they should have had that in their mind, and they should have just rotated him a little bit more. And maybe it doesn't it doesn't matter anyway. But that show, you know, you're now having a look at him trying to bowl out on the field. He could barely get the ball into his fingers. We've seen him trying to bowl with other grips. He was dropping his arm at one stage because he was trying to get revolutions on the ball in a different way. It's It's been kind of horrific to watch him bowl from, from that point of view. Uh, what else has mm -hmm. taken your eye? 
Well, just on the Moin bit, I mean, I think he was rather unfortunate that he also got fined 25%. I mean, guy was just treating his finger. But I guess there is precedent for this with the whole Ravi Jadeja ointment thing. I think that the Duke's ball what, has a wait, role to play. I want to stop right? you for one second. I want mm-hmm. to stop you for one second. I don't think... I, I'm, he's probably treating his hand. Uh-huh. But if his finger was already sore and he was struggling to get as much spin as he was before, there was also mm-hmm. a possibility that he was putting stuff on his finger that would help him get more spin. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and, and that's not that's not saying oh mowing cheated because I think most spinners do it now. But the point the <laughs> point would be, uh, I, I really think it's important for us. This we can't allow spinners to just put anything on their hands um, yeah. and, and, and do that. But sorry, you're in the middle of yeah. a beautiful point, and I ruined it for you. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I mean, I was just making the point that look, Moeen still does have it. Like he has that wicket taking ability. We've seen that, and I mean, England have missed a host of chances in that first innings when Australia batted, right? Uh, st- Bairstow in particular was the culprit. And I know all the Ben Folks fans will be out with their pitchforks. And I, I guess I also am on that same boat. But I think Bairstow minus those two fumbles hasn't been all too bad. But yeah, you miss those opportunities. A missed stumping and then a missed catch. And then Broad gets squadge off a no ball. All of a sudden, you've added, what, 80 to 100 runs to Australia's total. Now you've got three bowlers, none of whom are enforcers, who, by the way, did act like enforcers. At the end of that Australian innings, I mean, they did bounce them out. And even though they don't have a lot of clicks on them, they did do that job effectively. But it's just three seamers. Ben Stokes, who can barely have a ball, you can tell that he's visibly, you know, in a lot of distress when he's, you know, going at it. And, you know, he, he did take Steve Smith's wicket, but you could you could tell that he wasn't looking at his most comfortable. And then you've got Moin Ali and Joe Roots. And Moin, who is your frontline spinner, has this callus. He can't generate that side spin anymore. We can see the results today on day four, that he hasn't gotten the same sort of purchase that he had gotten in the first innings when Australia were batting. So that's a big worry. Now, that might not come into play at all because Stuart Broad is currently doing Stuart Broad things and I wouldn't put it past him to single-handedly win this for England. But then again, on day five, when you're expecting overcast conditions with Robinson, Anderson and Broad, you can't put it past them that they can defend this. But obviously, yeah, the Moin thing is a big blow. I think it's the Duke's ball with the whole pronounced seam, enhanced its seam which, you know, he hasn't been, you know, bowling with for a long time because he's primarily been bowling with a white ball, which doesn't have as pronounced a seam. Uh, I'm sure the seam is a part of it. And I know that has been mentioned a lot. I think Graham Swan mentioned before the test, by the way, as well. Uh, yeah, I the saw only thing I would add to that. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is that at a certain point, if you haven't bowled that much, I'm, it, put it this way, kookaburra balls also rip open fingers uh, when it comes mm. to spinners, right? You know, they, it's it's really, uh, the, the best story I ever heard was Bryce McGame, who of course was, uh, you know, basically went from a club cricketer to a first-class cricketer in the space of one mm. year as as an old man. Um, yeah. And by the time he got to the Sheffield Shield final, his finger was just completely ripped open, right? And it doesn't happen yeah. as much to league spinners, but it does happen to league spinners as well. And so, you know, the, the, if you haven't been preparing or building up to it, and Moen Ali hadn't been preparing or building up to it at all, right? Mm-hmm. Bowling a couple of balls in the IPL yeah. nets is nothing compared to what we just saw. Plus, also, Absolutely. when you are bowling in T20 cricket or in the T20 nets, you're not trying to rip the ball as often, mm-hmm. right? You know, whereas yeah. he was brought back and told to rip the ball. So, and ended up ripping his finger. But hmm. I no, mean, Saga was I, saying this on the comms as well. I mean, he was like, Murley used to go through this all the time, but ultimately his fingers just became strong. But that was Murley. He was balling so many overs on, you know, in Sri Lankan conditions. And his finger was battle-hardened. Moin's finger was not battle-hardened. And I think this is on England for not having this sort of forethought. I'm not blaming them for bringing him back. But I don't think this is on Moin because 
you know, he is going to jump at the opportunity clearly as we saw. I mean, it's it's a free ride from Wayne. He didn't want to play the Pakistan tests. He didn't play them. And now he has an opening for the Ashes and he, you know, jumps with open arms. And I don't blame him for that. But yeah, using him the way they did, I think that was definitely one of the factors that's gone behind, uh, of course, the callus. But next thing that I want to talk to you about, and I really want to talk to you about this, is that we uh, spoke in an earlier podcast of how, you know, England are definitely going to use the baseball shuffle versus Scotty Boland. And that has been quite uh, an enigma. You know, Alex Carey has been up, uh, uh, peeping up to the stumps. We see Steve Smith functioning as backup wicketkeeper. Very, very fine first slip, which is a little back so that if there is a catching opportunity, he can catch it. Do you think England have done well versus Boland? I think they've done pretty well. I think the one day when the ball was moving around uh, and he bowled that spell, I think, was it Cummins? It must have been Cummins at the other end. So the start of the third innings, I think the baseball shuffle was barely holding on, right? And that, and that is a big difference. I think with Boland, if even a little bit of assistance, he gets so... Uh, some of those balls were just jagging around so much from him. I don't know how you play them, no matter... Unless you smother them. Um, but even in that situation, he got... Uh, Joe Root got outside the line. So mm-hmm. I do think they've bothered him a little bit. But if he gets conditions where the ball moves around, I still think Scott Boland's going to be a handful. I I think for all you can really do at the, at the moment is nullify um, his impact. I don't think you can stop his impact. But ha- having said that, I thought he, um, you know, he bowled a couple of good spells in this game. But this is, I, I th- it's funny. I think England were going to come in with this attack regardless, right? I think mm-hmm. they just thought this was their, their best attack. But I think if Australia had known the pitch was like this, they probably would have gone in with Stark just because mm-hmm. of something to have something different. It's not even yeah. Stark might have bowled worse than Boland or or mm-hmm. whatever the, the case may have been. But it's just having Hazelwood and um, uh, Boland on this particular pitch is probably not as mm-hmm. big an advantage for Australia because yeah. they have Cameron Green anyway, right? So right. I do think from that point of view. But yeah, no, you're right. I, I think they've used the crease well against him to put the pressure back on him. Um, but if Joe Root was around, reverse I mean, ramping him. I mean, he reverse ramped like Scotty Bowden twice today. First for six, then for four. And I just love this renaissance of Joe Root, the test batter. You see him as captain. He's scoring tons of runs, even as captain. Hmm. But he has the weight of all these expectations on his shoulders. Now he's, you know, freed up playing his shots. He's invented new shots. Of course, we've seen that with the reverse ramp. He's playing with a lot of freedom. And I think that he's really bought into this whole baseball philosophy. And in particular, the baseball shuffle. I think that his penetration points are way more forward when he, you know, strikes the ball. And when the, that keeper was up, he was targeting that area behind the crease. And I think that is mm. amazing to see because we all talk about how Joe Root is not a T20 player, but that is T20 cricket in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing is... Uh, Playing the ramp with Alex Carey up the stumps, it was one of those ramps I thought, that's not that far away from Alex Carey. Like, mm. it's actually legitimately dangerous. And we saw, you know, Ireland had the same information. New Zealand had obviously already tried it with Tom Blundell. Ireland had the same uh, information and they decided not to do it because they didn't think Lorcan Tucker could keep up to the stumps mm-hmm. to medium paces, right? Alex Carey's doing it to a guy bowling 86, 87 miles an hour, yeah. right? Who jags the ball around. Like, it, all, you know, fair play to the guy. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, the wicketkeeping hasn't been particularly strong. I think you've been friendly mm-hmm. to Bairstow before. Even though one of the <laughs> catches he took, honestly, like, I low catch. Expect, yeah, the one where he like, mm-hmm. it, like it looked it was like a bear paw Manus. catching it. Minus in the first innings. Yeah, it might have been that one. Yeah, you might be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of expected Sky to put, you know, a symbol effect up when he took that, you know, a big clang because, you know, that just sounded bad. But 
but yeah, I, I, you know, so I really give Alex Carey a lot of uh, credit from that perspective. But look, it's been a fantastic game so far. I still think Australia's slightly better team, but in these conditions, you know, it's, it's tricky. The, the one other thing I, I wanted to talk to you about was the tactics of Pat mm-hmm. Cummins, right? Because the I defensive think, field settings? Yes, I think he is a defensive captain. And I think mm-hmm. defensive captains usually get more flack than attacking captains, even when they're successful, just because mm-hmm. it's a bit more boring and it's not as sexy and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there are only two kinds of bowling captains I've ever seen in cricket, those who over-attack or over-defend. I've never seen mm-hmm. a bowling captain who's somewhere in the middle. They're usually uh-huh. one extreme or the other. Um, but realistically, has someone who has covered the vast majority of the England baseball tests um, so far, I would say that, they probably came to it, Australia with the best plans that I've seen. Uh, you know, that mm-hmm. in and out stuff, you know, taking away the reverse sweep, coming up with fielding positions that don't even usually mm-hmm. exist and all those yeah. sorts of things. Um, I think there have been times when, I think there were times today when he just come and just had like six or seven guys back on the boundary and wasn't really trying anything. But that's because mm-hmm. he knew that England were going to keep swinging. Um, and then it's right. been up to England to try and not do that sort of stuff. But I, I don't think it's sexy captaincy. And I don't think it's how I would captain a cricket team. But f- from, a, from an effective point of view, I don't actually think it's been a terrible form of captaincy. Yeah, the word that I would use for this is pragmatic because he knows that England will have a swing at it. And, you know, he started with those fields. He had like quite a few people in the deep. It looked like an ODI field. And what that does is that it doesn't allow England to go at six, seven and over, but it allows them to go at a steady four and a half, five. So that's where I think it has a flaw in it such that, you know, you've got guys like Joe Root and you've said this yourself that he is the best single taker in the world. You've allowed him to get like a century for free over there on a surface that was not doing much on day one. So I think in that regard, there might be some criticism that should come Pat Cummins' way, especially when you look at Ben Stokes and how he manufactured that Usman Khwaja dismissal. You know, I've never seen that in my life. I know you called it the Yorkshire Wall, but I'm not acquainted with the Yorkshire Wall. So that was really fascinating to see all of those guys, like right in Khwaja's B, he tried to sneak one past a point or something and got cleaned up or lost his off pole to Robinson. So I think Stokes has been more proactive and I personally Mm. enjoy his captaincy more. But Cummins has been pragmatic and we talk about England's missed opportunities. You cannot forget Australia's either. There were three drop chances in that first innings. So the fielding has been atrocious by both teams. Wicket-keeping has been good by Kerry and even the runs he's scoring, I'm attributing all of this stuff to the Karachi pool. Anyone who's watching this and doesn't know, Alex Carey tripped into the Movin Pick Karachi pool. And ever since, he's been scoring tons of runs. And now, Bharat actually tweeted how he has become the only wicketkeeper to stump both Stephen Smith and Virat Kohli, who have only been outstumped once in Test cricket. So there's a fun fact for all of you guys. So yeah, I think the fielding has also cost Australia. And had they perhaps restricted England to a lesser score, they could be chasing something less. These are all things in hindsight, of course. And Australia weren't in really good fielding form anyway. You take Cam Green and Steve Smith out of the equation and they've been pretty bad, right? They had tons of missed opportunities in the India Test as well, in the World Test Championship Final. And I think that game would have been dead and buried had Australia, you know, hung on to those chances. Even if they were half chances at times, you expect to take, you expect Australians to take those chances in international cricket. But anyway, I think we probably want to move on with things. Just on the last, you know, note, I want to talk to you about Asman Khwaja. You know, here's a guy who even I wasn't expecting would do well in England, given his record over there and the way he got out to Shami in the first test. Uh, And I thought he would get a lot of that. But they didn't really bowl right arm pace to him from over the wicket. So that, I think, was one flaw. And then you've got to give credit to Khwaja. Even if it's like a fraction short or even if it's like a length ball, this guy has Mm. pulled everything. 
He has pulled everything, mistimed them for four, timed them for four, you know, picked out the gap between uh, mid-on and mid-wicket, which is really hard to do when you're playing the pull shot, right? It's, it's kind of awkward. But I've been mighty impressed by Khwaja because he hasn't really looked back ever since he's come back. He's got tons in Australia. Of course, we remember those twin Ashes tons in Sydney and that celebration. And he's got a better one now. Uh, he's got another Ashes 100 and just threw his bat in Edgebuston. And I know a lot of people have some issues with that as well. But I think it was just a heat of the moment thing. And I think Khwaja is pretty honest about it too. But runs in India, that's another big one, After especially mm-hmm. after the failures in Sri Lanka early on in his career. Runs in Pakistan, we're going to discredit. <laughs> because I think maybe even you could have gotten a ton in that series. It, it's but possible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the story. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. Because here's a guy who's in his late 30s, definitely the wrong mm. side of 30, is probably playing his last Ashes series and is going out on possibly the biggest high that we've ever seen. He averages the most amongst openers uh, in a minimum of 25 innings in the history of the game, 68 point something. And I think that is phenomenal. And mm. I'm really lost for words. It's probably my favorite comeback story in recent years. Yeah, the only major thing I would add, other than I think it's great that... that mm-hmm. I mean... I think anyone who's ever followed his career knows he has these highs. I think the mm-hmm. ability to string it together for as long as he has and as many different places as he has, I think, is fantastic. And, you know, I love watching him bat. So if mm-hmm. he's making runs, that's always a good thing. The only thing I would add, though, is that this is a pitch that really suits him. You, mm-hmm. I don't think on a normal England pitch you could p- play the pull shots he's played, right? Uh-huh. Um, but you are right. I do think England, I think they went with their strength of bowling around the wicket. And and I think they did it to Kerry and they did it to Head. And all of those guys mm-hmm. happen to be the weird anomalies in, in world yeah. cricket when it comes to left-handers. Um, but regardless of that, he's batted well in both innings so far. So let's take a break here, mate. Uh, if you want to, um, w- w- it'll be a shorter one tonight because we've got to record another show. And uh, I've been working since very early this morning. Uh, but if you do have a super chat like uh, Raghav has, which we'll get to in a little bit because that's going to fit into a question. Um, uh, sorry, into a topic that we'll get to later. But if you do have a question, feel free uh, to put one there. But uh, you're listening to Uncover with Jared and Bayram, and we'll have a break, and we'll come back to you very, very soon. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Uncovered podcast available on the Red Inca feed. If you're listening to a normal podcast, it's currently on the Jared Kimber Good Areas channel and also the Jared Kimber podcast YouTube channel. And if you like Bayram's hair that he can't stop playing with or my hat or, you know, you want to listen to more and more podcasts or you want to see what kind of corporate art I have in the background um, um, <laughs> over here in my Airbnb or you want to want work out what uh, what kind of Chelsea clock Bayram has, uh, come, remember to subscribe to that new channel, the Jared Kimber podcast channel uh, on YouTube. And obviously we will, uh, you know, any chats or comments and everything else and super chats and all those things we will uh, be picking up over there as well and eventually Mm -hmm. that's where all the podcasts will be recorded but we're not quite there yet but you also footmarks which we've been recording will also start to appear there i think actually the first episode might be up might have sent that to bayram Mm. today um maybe i think that's right i think i think i have no idea um (laughs) ashes is great we're about to find out what's going to happen tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. So we'll work out more about their first test there. World Cup qualifiers. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. let's get to the super chat that we got from, where is he? 
Rugov says, does Heinrich Milan not seem to have figured out his best Island eleven for ODIs a year into the role? While he improved their T20 side from debuting Ben White today to making McBride open, I don't get his thought process at all. So for those who don't know, Ireland lost to Oman today. We were following it in the, in the press mm-hmm. box. In fact, I was on air when it happened. And I showed it to Dan Norcross while he was commentating so he could say it. And he's looking at, and he said on air, why are you showing me this game? It's of no interest. I said, look who's winning. Uh, <laughs> and as I said that, I think Oman actually hit the winning run. So huge for Oman. I, I think they're a quality team. Uh, they're probably missing a couple of players when it comes to you know, having a regular opportunity to beat the better teams. But I think this is the first time they've beaten a test-playing nation in a major game. I think I'm right with that. Um, you know, so huge for them. Oh, so I should say the first time they've beaten a test-playing nation in an ODI. Might have, might yeah, have Bangladesh. They defeated ago. Bangladesh, I believe, in the T20 World Cup qualifiers, if I'm not You're wrong. right. Yeah. yeah. So, so first time in an ODI. But again, a big, big stepping stone for them. The island thing, I mean, this, what Rykov has said here is really interesting. So, obviously, Andy Brian opened. We kind of knew he was going to be somewhere up the order going in. There'd been um, some, uh, you know, words about that going in. I, I don't, I'm not as worried about Ben White, although it's very interesting that you would World Cup qualifier and you pick someone on debut. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. the ideal situation for that. But, the bigger thing is that Curtis Camford didn't play, and because mm. and and Harry Techterbold just feels like their team was not put together particularly. I don't know if you've got George Dockrell and you've got Andy McBride and you should have Curtis Camford. You've got three bowling options in your top seven batters, um, and even in their case, they should have had two bowling options in their top um, seven batters. And that you know they're still having to bowl Harry Tector. It seems like Ireland got something very wrong today. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was really shocked. And I think on one of these Uncovered podcasts, I mentioned how I was, you know, rooting for Ireland to actually make it to the World Cup because I think they've done a lot of things right in the last few years. And they've actually, you know, taken games very deep versus top nations. We've seen that time and again. And I was expecting them to really take these qualifiers by storm. But they've suffered a massive upstep, uh, upset right at the start. And Oman is a good team. They've got all these expat players from India and Pakistan. I think one of the uh, frontline bowlers is a former under-19 Pakistan cricketer. I think Fayaz Butt is, is his name. Guys, go check it out. Maybe I'm wrong. So let me know if I am. But anyway, I'm happy that Oman made it and they have, you know, shown us some signs in the last couple of years that they do have what it takes to win these games. But you'd really back Ireland to win this. And, you know, what I don't understand is that we've been listening to Andy Balburni say that these qualifiers are at the top of their priority list and they've been planning for these qualifiers in particular. And this is where it's all at. This is, you know, what they're focusing on 100%. Going by those statements, that team today looked very, very half-baked, undercooked, and not playing Curtis Kampfer, who is, you know, worth his weight in gold Australia because he is that one of those three-dimensional players. And he's done it versus top nations as well. He's shown you his talent. How do you not play him? You've got to find room for him, you know? And he's from Southern Africa, right? Like, yeah, I, I know he's it's from slightly that area. different. It's slightly different from where he grew up, but he would understand the conditions better than some of the other players. Mm. But I, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I, I think, I know they did well in the T20 World Cup. They don't qualify for the World Cup and they've struggled, of course, of recent time in Test mm. Cricket. I do think Andy Balboni and Richard Holdsworth will, you know, and perhaps Heinrich Milan as well, although he's newer in the job. But I do wonder if it is time for a restructure of mm-hmm. Irish cricket. Or even if, even if I'm wrong and it's not time, someone will, else will think it's time. And things might change. Richard Holdsworth's been there a very, very long time. 
Uh, they kept going on, as you said, about how this was the most important thing to them. And mm-hmm. they've come out and they've lost to Oman. Now, they might come bounce back. They might be very mm-hmm. good for the rest of the tournament. You're talking about an ODI team that has beat that beat the West Indies in the West Indies, uh, mm-hmm. that drew a series with South Africa, you know, played really well in the World T20. They We do know they put a lot of emphasis on T20 cricket after not being very good at T20 cricket. Unfortunately yeah. for them, that was after they were really good at one-day cricket. So you do wonder if they have the ability to improve at all things at all time with that, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of limited uh, talent pool that they have. Uh, w- what else happened? Um, there was a hundred in the USA by the guy that used to play for the Guyana, um, uh, Amazon Warriors. Uh, but yeah. uh, West Indies won that game fairly easy. I, I, I think mm-hmm. they won that one by about 40 runs. Uh, Nepal lost to uh, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe was it? And Nepal yeah. was actually going really, really well versus Zimbabwe. In like 42 overs, they had like 240 runs and they even had lots of wickets in hand. And their captain at the crease and they were really tonking it. Like I was following that game because it was right before, you know, day one or day, sorry, day three of the Ashes started. And I was like, oh, here we go. Nepal is going to beat the home team. But then again, I think Zimbabwe are really blessed when it comes to this generation. Because sure, we all love Heath Streak and Henry Olonga and all of those guys. But if you really come to think of it, when you look at the skill sets, Blessing Muzarabani and Richard Engarava. That partnership might just be the best pace bowling partnership Zimbabwe have ever had. And I think that might really help them. They're in their home conditions. Their batters are in form. You know, Craig Irvine, Sean Williams are experienced players. Sikandar Raza Butt is one of the most informed players in the world. He's also getting lots of franchise gigs. He's played in India, just was there, you know, playing the IPL. So they've got a lot of good stuff going for them. And Nepal, like, they were close to, you know, upsetting them. But, you know, once they were rolled over for 290, whereas they should have scored somewhere around 320, it was fairly obvious that they are going to lose. And same with the West Indies, you know. At one point, they were, what, 180-something for five or six, and they even lost two early wickets. But then their players, you know, Johnson Charles, Nicholas Puran, and who else? Jason Holder. And I'm forgetting one more player, but they all got 50s. They kind of... Shai Hope, I think, did he get one as well? Yeah, Shai Hope got a uh, 50 at a very good strike rate. Like, little, uh, just a smidge under 100. So, there's some good news for West Indies, especially because he was batting in the middle order. So, that's interesting stuff, definitely, when you're looking at Mm. them. But they were always going to beat the USA, even if they got, like, 280. Even though USA came close, but you'd you'd back the West Indies to win that game. Other than that, Sri Lanka, business as usual, steamrolled UAE, got 350-odd. And then, you know, roll them over for 160 or 170, something like that. They won by yeah. 175 runs, which is absolutely colossal. So I think fairly obvious results barring the Ireland one. I'm really keen to see how this tournament progresses because clearly the teams that we're not thinking have it in them are showing the signs that they could pull off an upset here or there. So definitely, yeah, keep an eye out for the qualifiers because things might get interesting over here. Yeah, we'll come back next week. Uh, obviously, it's in the middle of the Ashes test, this one. So uh, we split focus, especially for me. I, I was following the scores as closely as I can, but I can't really mm. watch it as much as I would like. But I'm sure over the next week, we'll, we'll see a lot more. Uh, we'll take another quick break. And then after the break, we will be back uh, with a little bit on the Asian Cup and uh, Bangladesh versus Afghanistan in that test match. Welcome back to Uncovered. Thank you to everyone. I see that the uh, chat is going out. We've got Path in here, EKG, Andrew, Delina, I mean, Steve. There's lots of people in. So remember um, to come in. More comments, more likes, everything that you put in, the better. Uh, thanks to Alex and Ragav, obviously, who did his uh, super chat before. Uh, Asia Cup. Uh, I have no idea. You you put this in the notes. And I, I, I whatever's happened with the Asia Cup, I haven't even followed in the last couple of days because I've just been out of it. So before I even get to the Asia Cup, here's the 
breaking news, uh, Pakistan's chairman or PCB's managing committee chairman, chairperson, whatever, Najm Sethi, is not going to be carrying on. So we're going to have a new chairman at the PCB in a year which has both the Asia Cup and the World Cup. Mere months away, this has happened and that is as Pakistan cricket as things can get. <laughs> Just after he's come up with the weirdest Yes. Well, uh, the coaching structure we've ever seen is like, anyway, everyone, um, let's see how that goes. I'll be on the golf course if you need me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a political thing because in the current, uh, well, government, there are two leading parties and one of them was favoring uh, Najam Sethi. The other one is favoring Zaka Ashraf, who has also been PCB chairman in the past. So it's all musical chairs at this point. But what I'm really keen to see is whether or not that coaching structure, you know, uh, goes on as planned because Sethi was at the forefront of that. He was the one who kind of orchestrated everything and good on Mickey Arthur for not leaving the Derbyshire job. I think that was a very, very smart move in hindsight or retrospect. But anyway, the Asia Cup, uh, where it stands is that it's going to be a hybrid model. We don't have the dates as of yet. And what my understanding of the hybrid model was, Jared, was that Pakistan would get to play their games in Pakistan unless they face India and unless they make the final. Weirdly enough, that's not what's happening. What's happening is that Pakistan gets the first four games not all Pakistan games, and then nine games in Sri Lanka. And I don't think that's a win for the PCB. Now, you could argue that any sort of bargaining with the BCCI is a win because they are the superpower. But I think that it's really uh, idiotic if you just get to play Nepal and Pakistan and then you go to Sri Lanka. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know what sort of point you're trying to prove because you've already proven the fact that you can host international teams in Pakistan. So that's what that's not what the goal was over here. The goal was to kind of set some sort of precedent for the Champions Trophy and at least have Pakistan's games in Pakistan and then we can see what happens, so on and so forth. But they treated it like some sort of victory and having just the first four games in Pakistan and Pakistan's not even set to feature in all of them, I don't think that's a win. Either way, the Asia Cup is happening and that is good news. We're all excited and it'll be good practice for all teams going into a World Cup, which will also be in Asian conditions. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen to Pakistan cricket next. Like Zakashraf will come in. Maybe he has some different ideas, different plans. Who knows what's going to happen to the domestic structure? You know, we were going back to department cricket. Mm. Are we going to go to department cricket now? Is that what's going to happen? Everything's up in the air. And the primary and sole reason for this is that the Pakistan Prime Minister is the patron of chief of the, of the PCB. If that wasn't the case, then these radical shifts won't happen all the time. And this is currently a battle between two politicians, the Prime Minister Shahbaz Sharif and former Prime Minister Asif Ali Zardari. And they've got their own men. So... That's what's happening and it's sad. And the worst part is that this is the most stable ODI team Pakistan has had since 99 going into an ODI World Cup. And now you've got all of this instability around it. And yeah, I guess the only positive is that we do get to play the Asia Cup. There's that respite at the end of it. Uh, and just lastly, obviously, Bangladesh absolutely smashed the face-off of Afghanistan. Um, my man, Najmal Shanto, uh, twin hundreds. <laughs> uh, what did they win by? I'm just trying to get the number. 546 runs. Yes. Yeah, uh, quite handy uh, there. Everdot Hussain took four in the first innings as well. And I'm trying to remember who took the wickets in the second innings. Was it Taskin? Yeah, it was Taskin Army. Yeah. Took four in the second innings. Uh, look, a, a bit like Ireland, uh, Afghanistan don't play a lot of test matches. Uh, but also, I think it's good good for um, uh, good for Bangladesh of recent times that they've been, you know, playing Ireland and mm-hmm. Afghanistan and also showing that they're a fairly good team, right? I mean, at home, Bangladesh is a very, very good team, right? We've seen them defeat Australia, uh, I guess, in one test way back in the day when Australia toured. I think they had some favorable results versus England too. I can't quite recall. But basically... Yeah, one all against England, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, but they've had very favorable results at home as a team, regardless of the format. And over here, of course, we expected them to win. Of course, 546 runs is like 
absolutely, uh, you could say they've massacred Afghanistan, but then I wouldn't blame Afghanistan too much because A, they don't get to play a lot of test cricket. And B, this was a team without Rashid Khan and without yeah. Mohammad Nabi. And you can understand that because they've got a very busy schedule coming up with the Asia Cup, with the World Cup and all of that. So you want those guys fit and firing. So I get why they were like, okay, you're playing in Bangladesh, you're probably going to lose. Go with, you know, a younger squad. And they have had one positive at least. Uh, the seamer, what was his name? Najat Masood. He's a right-arm seamer making his debut. Got a Pfeiffer in the first inning. So that's one positive. Yeah, did. But that just might be the only positive that Afghanistan yeah. have in the game. Because uh, you've got to give credit to Bangladesh as well. I know that they uh, have had, received a lot of flack for producing certain kinds of wickets to favor their results. But let's not forget that 20 of the wickets that Bangladesh took in this test match, 13 of them came via seamers. And that is new. Yeah. That has not happened before. Ibadat, uh, who I love when you call him Ebadot because that's how he spells his name. And whenever I read it out loud in my head, I'm always calling him Ebadot. How do you pronounce it? I thought, I thought it was Ebadot. I thought that's how it's <laughs> supposed to be pronounced. I, I, I call him Ebadot in my head as well. But no, it's Ibadat. Ibadat Hussain. Ibadat. Um, I like that. That's, that's yeah, better. Because yeah. Ebadot does sound like a little bit like it's, it's a game that you buy for kids and then the kids don't like playing it. And Ibadat means worship. So that's uh, an interesting contrast. But uh, uh, look, I think them. I think you know Bangladeshi seamers are coming through nicely. I think there's yeah. you know him and Tuscan um, have have gone together. So no, no, no I, look, I I think it's very important. And I'll just, you know Shanto, uh, I'm all I'm all mm. about the Shanto. It's interesting because we were discussing that, right? We were discussing how Shanto has been really, really mediocre, and ever since he's just been scoring runs like anything. Twin hundreds in this game. That's not easy on any surface. He's got one forty six and one twenty four. Star, yeah. absolute star. <laughs> I, I think he's the most improved all-format batter in the world. And he even, I suppose it's not even that he's improved in all formats. It's just that he couldn't make a run before and yeah. now he's found form. But absolutely he's fantastic even rubbed for off him. On, he's rubbed off on Mominal, who scored his first stun in like two years. And this was supposed to be Bangladesh's best ever test bat, right? So good things happening in the Bangladesh camp. But let's just hope that they stick around for some time. Because we've seen this mm. whole movie play out in the past. And then when a big tournament comes, Bangladesh flop like anything. I don't want that. I want Bangladesh cricket to improve. So here's to hoping that this can be that sort of kickstarter for them. Definitely. Uh, thank you for listening to Uncovered. Remember, you can listen to it all over YouTube, apparently. It's also on Twitter. Uh, or you can just listen to it in the Red Inca feed. Huge thanks to um, uh, everyone for their comments and their likes and their subscribing and all that sort of stuff. Please do it more. You can find um, Bayram as Def Mango on Twitter. You can find me everywhere as well. Uh, but huge thanks. And we'll be, uh, well, I'll be back in a couple of days for Wagon Wheel and also Footmarks will be up in a couple of days as well. Uh, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon. And there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barat Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. Sports Social Podcast Network.